0: All right. Hi friends. Welcome back. Welcome back to House Wine. Uh, This is a show for anyone who would like to know a little bit more about wine, uh, to learn about wine, to drink the good stuff. I am Rachel. I am the host. I also write and produce this show. I'm a certified sommelier from Toronto and uh, we have the pillow fort all set up tonight so that we can talk about Armagnac or rather I can talk about Armagnac to myself and hopefully uh one of you <laughs> some of you are on the other side listening. So with uh without much intro, we'll just get right into it. A few months ago, I um I did an episode on cognac. And I sort of made this big uh fuss at the beginning of the episode. I'm like, "Oh, cognac's not a wine. It's a spirit, but we're including it cuz it's made from grapes." And I thought, you know, of course there's some episodes that do better than others, and I I was really sure cognac was going to be like a like like weren't weren't like kind of a miss episode, but I was curious about it, and I really enjoyed researching it and uh I thought it was a really interesting topic, and so uh put that episode out there, and it turned out um that it is one of the best performing episodes uh that I've ever done, aside from my wine law episodes, which I also always assume are never gonna do well, so I was like, okay, well, let's um you know let's give the people what they want <laughs> let's give the people more uh brandy so today we're going to do armagnac and like i said when i uh when i started the cognac episode i said i don't know how this quite fits into the context of house wine because although uh cognac is made from wine it is in fact not a wine it's a distillate well in southwest france uh there are two appellations that are known for very similar-ish, similar-ish, because we're going to get into the differences, uh, styles of brandy. Though it is sure that each appellation would tell you, and they they do vehemently, that they are not similar at all. And if you really pick it apart, you start to see why. But alas, (laughs) from the outside, uh, cognac and armagnac, uh, really get lumped in together into this sort of one category. Cognac is kind of like the little brother and Armagnac is like the big brother and um, like the older sibling. And and why older sibling? Well, that's because Armagnac is in fact the OG eau de v of France. It is one of the oldest distillates in the world. And oh boy, do they really, really, really like to talk about it. I actually had um, a really good time poking around the Armagnac website because they are just so proud of Armagnac and all the things that it is and all the things that it has to offer. It was very enjoyable because you could tell that whoever wrote the content for it was genuinely very excited about Armagnac which in turn started to make me feel very excited about Armagnac, and I want to pass uh, some of that on to all of you. Uh, So like a lot of the regions that I end up really enjoying, it has a history that is both strange and interesting in the sense that it has a bunch of monks and a bunch of sort of religious types uh, talking a whole lot of medieval pseudoscience weirdness. And there is also a little bit of mystery. It's very good. So let's just uh, dive into it and we'll get into the history because I think that is really one of the most fascinating parts of this region. So Armagnac is, in fact, an AOP in France, and it is compromised of three subregions that are all also AOPs. Haute-Armagnac, H-A-U-T, that's like, you know, Haute-Armagnac, which is to the east, Armagnac-Teneres, which is in the middle of the Appalachian, and Bas Armagnac or Bas Armagnac to the east. And there are several overlapping AOPs here. Even though Armagnac is a distillate similar to cognac, like in cognac, there are also people that make still wine here. Or as I like to say, you know, normal wine in the same place. So they're growing grapes and they're making distillates and wines. But today we're really going to talk about uh, the distillates because one day we'll do an episode on the Appalachians of Southwest France. And trust me, there's a lot and they're all doing different things (laughs) and it gets a little complicated. So Armagnac itself is in Southwest France, just north of the Spanish border, not far from the Basque country. And it is actually just south of Cognac which is considered to be part of Bordeaux and is on the coast. Armagnac is more sort of, you know, if you were comparing them to one another, it's more inland and therefore is more subject to a continental climate and doesn't have the same sort of problems that cognac has with things like mildew and disease pressure. It has a little bit more, or Armagnac is a little bit more prone to frosts and hail which can be problematic. But let's get into the fun parts first. <laughs> let's start uh, with a deep dive into all the details that make Armagnac Armagnac, because history and place is really one of the main things that sets this region apart from its showier and more famous younger brother. So Armagnac has been making distillates for much longer than 700 years, but the written history of Armagnac The naming of the brand and the spirit really starts in the early 1300s. And this is really when we start to see distillate and brandy emerge as a product that's a little bit easier to make and in larger quantities. It's kind of when the technology of creating the pot still and the knowledge of how to create distillate really took off a little bit more. So it went from being something that was used almost exclusively medically to being something that could be consumed a little bit more commonplace. Though not like today where we have these, you know, industrial stills. Spirits were always usually a little bit harder to make and the resulting product was always not necessarily 100% stable. So it was still considered to be more of a medicine or a beverage for special occasions or a luxury product. The man who really brought this beverage into the spotlight really ascended it to its highest level of fame that a beverage could get all the way back in the 14th century, was a cardinal, of course, because all of the most famous people back then were either these kind of like religious types or royalty. So it was the Cardinal Vital Dufour. And we like him because if you are a longtime listener of this show, or even if not, uh, you probably know that we love our weird history, and we love when, you know, a Roman or a monk or some, you know, old guy in antiquity really gets riled up about a wine because they usually start talking a lot of weird kind of old timey bullshit that is one of my favorite things. So you have this cardinal, you have Cardinal Vital Dufour. And from what I know of cardinals, which mostly comes from watching the Tudors, I'm not going to lie they are the ones that always wear red. And he wrote a book that was published in 1310 called To Keep Your Health and Stay on Top Form. You see where this is going. Armagnac features heavily. Armagnac was originally referred to as aiguay Ardente from Gascony, meaning fire water. But it also sometimes is referred to in the book as the water of immortality. So already you can see the draw. It was really extolling the benefits of drinking Armagnac. In fact, the section in the book that is about Armagnac is called The 40 Virtues of Armagnac. And now I really tried to scour the internet for this. I wanted to find the definitive list of the full 40 virtues because I am genuinely curious. And it seems that since some time in about the 15th century, the original book that was written by Cardinal Dufour was brought to the Vatican for safekeeping, of course, and still resides in the Vatican Library today. That is the original copy from 1310. Really, you know, under lock and key in their vault of rare books uh, written by monks. The book itself, suffice to say, went out of print about 600 years ago. But there are a lot of people who have written about this book, uh, including the AOC regulating body of Armagnac, who basically have pilgrimages for Armagnac producers to go to the Vatican so they can behold said book. It is like the holy book of Armagnac, and they are very, (laughs) very into it. Which is all to say that after reading about this book for a long time, I was able to glean a few of the virtues from it, but no more than about 10 that make up the highlight reel of what Cardinal Dufour really had to say about Armagnac, and how, of course, in fact, it can give your life deeper meaning and make you see God. I mean, it seems like most of the time in history, (laughs) it was just about, you know, getting drunk and communing with the divine, and Armagnac is no exception. So, here are some of the virtues that I was able to tease out of the research I did, even though I could not find the definitive list. Armagnac will dry your tears and enliven the spirit. So basically, it will cure you of depression, as it goes on to say. And it will also, quote unquote, render you more joyous, which is not surprising. Moreover, it goes on to say that it preserves youth, which sounds pretty good. And it also retards senility. And the actual excerpt that I was able to find says this, and this is a direct quote. So it says, It cures gout, cankers, and fistula by ingestion. It restores the paralyzed member by massage and heals wounds of the skin by application. It enlivens the spirit, partaken in moderation, recalls the past to memory, renders men more joyous preserves youth and retards senility. And when retained in the mouth, it loosens the tongue and emboldens the wit. If someone timid from time to time would let himself permit. So, you know, I think Cardinal Dufour was kind of uh, getting a little bit of verse going on there in the, in the last bit, but it also goes on to say that it is the cure for hepatitis and that it can soothe many of the symptoms of syphilis. There is a lot about how it can also cure the redness of eyes and the wateriness of eyes, which I'm a little bit confused by because it seems like the way they describe it is like that they were rubbing Armagnac on cuts to disinfect them, which makes sense to me because it is alcohol after all. And though I have, you know, no survival training whatsoever, I've seen enough zombie movies to know that, um, you know, you pour alcohol in a cut and it disinfects it. I'm sure they teach you that in grade 10 science somewhere as well. But are they rubbing it into the eyes? Does drinking it clear up your eyes? Were people in the Middle Ages rubbing Armagnac into their eyes? That f- seems like it would be painful, but I digress. I just I got hung up on that for a bit. The point here really is, is that Armagnac was very highly touted by the Cardinal dufour and its ability to cure a lot of different ailments in the Middle Ages mostly, I'm assuming, hopefully through drinking it, was sort of revolutionary. And by the time this book came out in 1310, Armagnac production was still primarily medical and confined to a very small region, consisting of just a few villages in Gascony. Now, the way that they traced the spread of Armagnac was through market ledgers. So we know that by the mid-15th century, about 100 years after the popularity of the book to keep your health and stay in top form, Armagnac had spread to markets nearly as far as Bordeaux. Production was still quite limited, though, as the main way that they would make Armagnac was by traveling still. A still would show up by horse cart at the farm or in the village, and then great growers would each take turns for a fee distilling their wines into Armagnac. By the 17th century, the Dutch were buying most of the wines from Bordeaux, and this is important because Bordeaux is just up the river from Gascony. Remember, it was right around this time, also in the early to mid-17th century, that the Dutch helped out the Bordelais by draining that marshland around the Medoc, so they could grow even more wine in Bordeaux. Bordeaux was the main port of entry for all export in the region, and they were very protective over it. They made a law that all the wines sold in Bordeaux had to be from Bordeaux, and many of the wines of Gascony... And the still wines that make up the Armagnac region were intercepted as they traveled up the river and turned back by the Bordelais, who were concerned about competition in the wine market. However, they were not so concerned about the merchants of Gascony trading spirits through the port, and this is when we really see the commercialization of Armagnac take off. And it was really the Dutch that discovered that spirits lasted longer on sea voyages than wine, which was prone to spoilage when being transported. So it was really a product that was picked up by the Dutch for their sailing merchants. Of course, this also kicked off the tradition of barrel aging, as most wines and spirits at this time were transported by barrel and was noted that it gave them a certain, you know, character and color in the final product. And from there, things really progress in a natural way. You have more winemakers choosing to make Armagnac because their wines just weren't sellable at the port of Bordeaux. However, phylloxera at the end of the 19th century proved to be a challenge. And then, of course, the formation of subregions and appellations and regulations that came with an AOP designation happened at the beginning of the 20th century. So let's get into those rules. Armagnac actually, in total, is made out of five AOPs, or appellations. You have two main appellations, which cover the entire area of Armagnac, and then you have those three subzone appellations. Of the subzones, the rules are pretty much the same in terms of barrel aging, requirements, and labeling. The thing that really sets them apart is soil, and this is why these subzones are delimited differently from one another. So in Bas armagnac you have sandy, stony soils, a little bit of iron uh, and red soils that they call sable fauve, Locally, and you also have uh, a lot of rivers here that affect viticulture. You have the Douze River, the Midouze River, and the Adour River. This is also where you have the largest concentration of producers, both high quality and some more generic bulk producers as well. Then in Armagnac Teneres, which is in the middle, you have more limestone, but also a little bit of sand and clay. You're really getting away from there being lots of riverland here, so you have soils that are a little bit less sandy. And you have some really great quality Armagnacs coming from this region. This region is really uh, known for having sort of, quote unquote, the strongest tasting and most aromatic Armagnacs. And those are kind of along the banks of the Baez River. And then, of course, you have Haute Armagnac, which makes Armagnacs, but is less a center of production and more fertile farmland for the grapes to grow. Here we have more limestone, which begins to turn into chalkier soils. This is the most sparsely planted appellation for growing in Armagnac, even though you would think to yourself being right up there along the famous Garonne River that connects it to Bordeaux and the limestone that we know grapes love would make an ideal place to grow grapes. But the issue here is that it is also a great place for a lot of other things like cattle pastures and other farming. So there's a lot of competition for grape growing here and lots of other varied agriculture. If and when you make an Armagnac that is blended from all of these appellations, then you would just label it generically as Armagnac AOP. And that's how you'll find most Armagnac that is produced and goes to market. Now, there is also another appellation of Armagnac, and that is called Blanche Armagnac. It is the newest kind of Armagnac, only having been established as an AOP in 2005. And this is exactly the way it sounds. It is an Armagnac that is not allowed to be aged in oak with no color additives allowed, so it comes out white. It's like Armagnac vodka. I have never, to my knowledge, had it, but it seems like it's kind of the way they describe it, supposed to compete with other white spirits in the cocktail market. But it still is, supposedly, does retain some characteristics of Armagnac, like a little bit of florality and a little bit of fruitiness that you may not get with other white spirits. Honestly, it doesn't sound like it would be my thing. <laughs> but I don't think there is a lot of this coming onto my market either. I'm sure it exists. It kind of evokes, like, um, for me, the Siroc craze of the mid-2000s that I may or may not recall. I think I was part of the Ciroc craze of the mid-2000s. And for those of you who don't know, Ciroc was a flavored grape vodka. Delicious. But again, <laughs> I digress. All these styles of Armagnac are allowed to use the same kind of grapes, blanche and non-blanche. And like cognac, they are not your most popular varieties of grape, though they are also one of the things that make Armagnac Different from cognac. Though there's some crossover between the grapes that they're using, cognac grapes tend to play a supporting role here, whereas the main grapes are Baco Blanc, Blanc Dame, and Mosaic, followed by those cognac grapes, Colombard, Faux Blanche, and Uniblanc. Baco Blanc is sort of the outlier here as it is the most planted grape in Armagnac, but it is also the only hybrid grape authorized by an AOP in all of France. Hybrid grapes are crosses of Vitis vinifera grapes that are native to Europe and North American grape varieties like Vitis riparia or Rupertis. This, of course, became popular during the time of Phylloxera as they had a natural resistance to the louse, but often lacked the delicious taste of Vitus vinifera grapes. Sort of um, a lot of hybrids are known to come out a little bit foxy-tasting or a little bit sour. There were a few of these grapes that held on, though, mostly because of their desired characteristics, like in the Baco family, of which there's also Baco Noir, grown quite often here in Ontario, they have a natural resistance to frost and cold, which is common in the Armagnac region. As a grape, it also has a high yield, which is great if you're turning the wine made from it into distill it. And like I said, it's the primary grape used in Armagnac, but it is not permitted to be used in cognac. Another thing that makes these two regions different from one another is the way in which the brandies are distilled. Armagnac uses a form of a lambic still, but it's quite different from the one that's used in cognac. Armagnac uses what they call a continuous still, which looks kind of like a large cylinder column that has all these plates inside of it. Sometimes they also call it a column still, actually. And this is the kind of still that is used. It's used in all kinds of spirit production, and there are some really, really huge ones uh, for bulk and mass produced spirits that can have more than 40 chambers. The plates kind of separate chambers, and then the vapors rise through the chambers and then back down. It's a a whole process. (laughs) I I would suggest googling continuous still or column still because you'll see a diagram of it which will instantaneously explain it better than I ever can uh, just by describing it. But the Armagnac still has no more than 15 chambers, which means that these distillates retain a lot of the flavors and aromas of their original product. Those high-acid, low-alcohol floral wines that they're derived from armagnacs also distilled to a lower abv than cognac which means that you get again more of those esters esters of course being the flavors and aromas that are left over from the original product aka the wine that it's distilled from in cognac the wine is distilled to 70 percent abv armagnac usually hovers a little bit below 60 Usually, they try to aim for 57 if you want to be really exact. Once the wine is distilled using the column still, it is then aged in oak barrels, French oak barrels to be exact, that can be anywhere from 400 to 420 liters. As in the case of most spirits, they are allowed to add coloring agents, natural ones, and they're also allowed to add wood chips to increase that oaky flavor that we all love so much. Now, Another way in which Armagnac is different from Cognac is that they have completely different aging requirements. And though there is some aging terminology here that overlaps, it is indeed one of the main features, apart from the distillation method and the grapes that make them unique from one another. All Armagnac must age for a minimum of one year in oak barrels before it is released. That is, of course, with the exception of Armagnac Blanche, which we now all know does not age at all. Otherwise, the rules for aging Armagnac are as follows. You have the first designation, which is VS, or three stars, same as cognac, and that ages for one to three years in oak. Then, next up, you have VSOP, or Napoleon, which ages for a minimum of four years in oak. Following that, you have the XO designation, which ages for a minimum of ten years. Then you have the Ordage or Or. How do I anglicize this? Hordage. Hordage is in French. H O R S D apostrophe A G E, which is a minimum of 10 years, but is anywhere from 10 to 20 years old. And then you have XO premium, which is 20 years old. One of the main distinguishing factors here is that it's much more common in Armagnac than it is in Cognac for the spirits to be vintage dated. Vintage dated Armagnacs must come from the vintage that the grapes were harvested in, and not from the date of distillation. Vintages also must age a minimum of 10 years in oak. Because these are long-lived, much more long-lived than wine, it's one of those things that make kind of like a really nice birth year gift, as they make these almost every year, with very few exceptions, of what could be referred to as quote-unquote bad vintages. And these are vintages usually that just had lower yields due to factors like frost and hail, and therefore there's just generally less of it. These are vintages like 1964 and 1984, and they're some of the rarest Armagnacs in the world. My birth year was a notoriously horrible wine vintage. Um, if you look it up on mm, any single website, Jancis Robinson, Wine Searcher, anything, It usually comes up as just be like, throw out this disgusting vinegar now. (laughs) It's not good. Uh, So if I were to ever enjoy anything from my birth year, it would most likely have to be an Armagnac. So again, the differences between Armagnac and Cognac, aside from the fact that they are completely different places, are the type of still that they use, the types of grape that they grow, and the way that they age and label their brandies. So really, when you boil it down, mind the pun, they really aren't that similar at all, other than the main thing about them, which is that they are both French brandies. But there is one more thing, a small thing that separates the two, and this is who is making them. Commercially, one of the main differences between cognac and armagnac is the people who are producing these spirits. Cognac is really controlled by huge brands. We're talking huge houses that make the majority of the product that comes out of that region. And they're brand names that everybody knows Hennessy, Corvassier, where Armagnac is, by comparison, dominated by smaller, more niche, more local producers. You have some larger, definitely more luxury houses like Cardinal Dufour named after everybody's favorite hepatitis-curing 14th century cardinal. But in all seriousness, Cardinal Dufour is making some very seriously delicious Armagnacs. You also have, those some more sort of farmhouse-style producers, like Pomme Péberère, which is, uh, I also just like saying, Pomme Péberère. It's P-O-M-E-S-P-E-B-E-R-E-R-E, with lots of accents in there uh which is based out of Teneres. And the Armagnac that I've tried the most and is maybe a little bit more commercial, is Armagnac Lobade. So there's lots of variety, but most of these houses are making Armagnac in the complete range of styles. You know, vintage, EXO, Napoleon, Ordage, and they're definitely worth trying. So <laughs> This is the time uh, where we start to wrap things up and I tell you that if you are curious about Armagnac, all of my sources and all of these producers are linked up in the show notes and if you are going to scroll down and look at them, it would mean so much to me if you would take the extra 30 seconds to also rate and review this show. This is 100% independent. I make it every week, sometimes every other week. Uh, But I narrate, write, and edit each one. So it goes a long way to showing uh, your support. And if you did notice something I left out or you noticed a correction, you can always uh, get in touch with the podcast at housewinepodcast at gmail.com. And if you wanted to follow the show on social media, you can do so at housewinepodcast on Instagram. I always want to say housewinepodcast at Instagram. That's not a thing. Or <laughs> even further, if you want to check out uh, what I'm doing and you want to see pictures of my dog, you can look at those at uh, Rachel Picard on Instagram. That's Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, and Picard like the captain. So we're in, <laughs> we're in the middle of winter. Uh, warm, warm yourself up uh, from the inside. Go drink some Armagnac. If your eyes are watering, I don't know give it a try. I'm not saying rub Armagnac in your eyes. I'm just saying maybe uh, sip on it with ice. We've got a few, a little bit more of Southwest France coming up uh, next week. And then we're going to move into some more fun Spanish materials. So uh, stay thirsty and drink some delicious wine. And I will see you all next week. Bye.